what a great day. So thankful for our worship team and just you uh, joining in. And there's just nothing like hearing multiple voices uh, giving God praise. And uh, it's just, a, just an amazing thing. And um, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And um, continuing our series on boundaries. And uh, the last week we talked about a pretty tough one, uh, setting up boundaries for our sex lives and making sure professionally and personally and, and all of that, that uh, we've got safeguards, that we've got boundaries. And, and we talked about the fact that boundaries are, are designed to keep you from straying into dangerous and off-limits areas. Um, and as we talked about last week, sometimes that means dangerous and off-limits people. And um, we just have to understand that uh, this morning, what we're going to talk about, it's, it's for everybody today. Um, and if you, if you haven't decided to follow Jesus Christ, we, we hope that you'll make that decision. Um, and if you're kind of wondering, how do I do that? Uh, we, can, we can help you with that. And we'd love to, to uh, start that process with you. But even if you don't, uh, if you'll listen to the message this morning, it will help you. But if you're a Christian this morning, and, and what I mean by Christian is somebody that follows the teachings of Jesus Christ and they line their life up with that, then, then really this is, should be old news to you, but it's also mandatory. Um, now you say, well, it can't be mandatory. We live in a world where nothing's mandatory, but I'm telling you the Word has things that are mandatory, <laughs> that this is what you do. And for Christians, this is one of those areas that's pretty tough, um, and, and I'm just going to lay it out there in the front this morning so that you can get prepared, and maybe this is the time that you need to excuse yourself, go to the bathroom, and then leave, or whatever you need to do. Um, but we're talking about money this morning. And the real question is, who's your master? Now, as a pastor, I realize that in the area, especially of New Testament, and, and we should be New Testament people, that... No areas of the Scripture are more dis, most disregarded by Christians. Again, I don't expect the world to follow any of this, but no two areas of the Scripture are Christians disregard the most, except in the areas of sex and money. We, it's filled with a ton of direction, great advice, guidelines, and boundaries for us, and yet in these two areas of sex and money, Christians disregard those the most in the areas of their life. And, and I don't really understand that, but that's just the way that it is. And, and I'll let you know up front this morning as well that the issue isn't money this morning. It's not about the decimal point or how much is in your wallet. The issue is the mastery. Who's mastering you in your life? Is it God or is it money? And you may be surprised by the time we get done at what your answer to that would be. Because there's way too many of us, whether you want to admit or not, that money is the number one competitor for our heart. It's the number one thing that drives us. It's the number one thing that gets in the way of how we serve God or not serve God. It's the number one thing that, that draws our mind. It's the number one thing on our worry list. It's the number one thing that can separate things, that gives us a hard time, that wishes that we had this or that or that. But the reality is that Jesus has a fix for all of this, but it's a difficult fix, but it's also very simple. The difficult part is just aligning your heart, but the process is actually very simple. And I won't say easy, but it is simple. So let's jump into what the Bible says here this morning. And, and as we talk about 
money this morning, maybe you're ready to tune me out and say, hey, uh, I'm not in debt. I'm not on the verge of bankruptcy. And I'm telling you this morning, it's not about staying out of debt. And it's not about avoiding bankruptcy because you can have money in the bank and still be in a ditch when it comes to the biblical example of what it takes to manage your money well. Here's what the Bible says, Matthew 6, 24. No one, right? Doesn't matter how long you've been at it. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how much you pray. No one can serve two masters. And let's stop right there for a minute as we lay a little bit of uh, Greek on you. As you see down below, understand that master means one who is in supreme authority or in charge by virtue of possession or ownership. Now, here's the first problem. You say, no one owns me. Maybe that's the problem. When you get saved, you hand your life or should have handed your life over to Jesus Christ. And he is now Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that, that's the first step in following Christ. All the rest of this stuff, it, it's good to be at church. It's good to tithe and offer. It's good to pray. But if you have not given your life over to Jesus Christ, then the tithing and the praying and the attending aren't going to get you much because you won't be in heaven. The reality is we have to turn our life over, and you can't serve God and stuff. And he goes on and he says, why? You'll either hate one of them and love the other one. So if you're going to love God, you have to hate money. Well, we live in America, so we can't hate money. (laughs) Or we've got to love money and, well, I don't hate God. Well, we'll find out by the end of the day, won't we? You cannot serve both God and money, and depending on your version, it may say God and mammon. And so we could break that into material stuff, okay? But my question is, who is in charge of your money? Now, many of us would say, my wife. And I learned that pretty quick. When I got married, I realized what's mine is, is hers and what hers is hers. And it was very simple rules to follow. But when we get saved as Christians, that's what I'm saying, as Christians, he tells us that our money goes along with the rest of our life and goes under the control of Jesus Christ. And our money should line up with the scriptural principles and values of what Jesus teaches for a certain reason, for this reason alone that pretty soon, if we're not careful, no matter how much we say we love God, if we're not careful, we start being mastered by money. And he doesn't want that to happen because it begins to change our heart. It begins to change our views. It begins to change our choices. And it'll even change your lifestyle because pretty soon you're saying to yourself, you know, I need this or I want this or I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And God's saying, hey, this is the way that it is. And you need to give that issue to me. And you're like, I'm not sure I can give that issue to you. And I find it kind of funny as a pastor that so many times people disregard these scriptures until they get into trouble financially, and then what do they do? Then they pray, oh God, you got to help me. I'm, I'm in over my head. I'm about to go bankrupt. My wife's about to leave me. I can't pay for my kids' college. Uh, I don't know what to do. I don't have any retirement. God, you got to, I'm thinking, well, 
if you wait until the emergency to call on God, how about we do ourselves a favor and we ask him into the situation now? Because it's funny that you'll trust him when you get to the emergency. Why don't you trust him today? And say, Lord, because, just hear me this morning, because when you pray in that emergency, what you are is you're inviting God into your finances. So why not do that today? Now, we've already taken up the offering, right? So your wallets and your pocketbooks and all that stuff is safe. (laughs) Because it's not about, I hope that you hear this part. It's not about me or the church trying to get something from you. It's me as your pastor and God as your Savior wanting to get something for you. The freedom that can come from giving that part of your life to Jesus so that you don't become captive and you don't try to serve two masters, which he says you can't do. Okay? We have to understand that God says, I don't want money to be your master. Not because I... God doesn't need your money, right? (laughs) But what he's really saying is, I love you, and I don't want that for you. And when you try to chase that, and when you try to possess that, and it becomes the driving force in your life, it changes you, and it can hurt you, and I don't want that for you. I want something great for you. I don't need something from you. But it's very difficult depending on how you are raised. So this is what he says. No one can serve those masters. Notice he says this. You'll be devoted to the one and you will despise the other or you'll put off the other one. But let's jump into this just a little bit. Here's here's the real issues here. As I said, the real issue isn't money, it's mastery. And you, you say, maybe I'm not mastered by that. Maybe nobody owns you. Maybe this or that. But... Do you line up with what the Bible said? Now, here's what the Bible says. Bring your tithes into the storehouse to this local church, 10% of your income. That's for just Christians. So if you're a Christian this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is mandatory. But too many people think it's optional. It's not optional. And the reason it's mandatory is because of that first verse right from the mouth of Jesus. You will begin to try to serve two masters. This is our opportunity to break greed and materialism. But we resist it. And I've known people that have been saved many, many years, and this is still a struggle. They're still being mastered by money, and it's sad. It's sad. Because I'm thinking, really? That stuff that you fold up, that's become your God? That thing that sits in your wall has become your God? That, that digital thing in a bank account has become your God? And it is a horrible master. It will drive you and drive you and drive you and demand from you. And that is not the freedom of Jesus Christ. The question is, do you have money or does it have you? Because we tend to fall into two areas as, as Americans, as Western culture, is either we consume it, which means that I'm going to spend it and I'm going to spend it now and I'm going to spend it on me. That's why God gave it to me. That's why I have this money is for me to spend it. I'm going to spend it now and I'm going to spend it on me. Or we fall into the other category where we do it out of fear where we're a hoarder. And I'm going to keep it. And I'm going to keep it for later. 
but I'm still going to spend it on me later. That's the reason I'm keeping it. I'm not keeping it for somebody else. I'm not keeping it to pass long. I'm keeping it for good works. I'm keeping it because I'm worried that I might run out sometime and it starts to close my fist and I want to keep it so that when the time comes that I want to spend it on me, I'll have it. And there's no middle ground. Most of us fall within one of those two areas. And this leads to greed. And here's the reality. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. (laughs) Think about that for just a minute. Whatever comes into my life, it's for me. And I'm going to do what I want with it. And most of the time, what I want to do with it is what I want to do with it. It's not for somebody else. Greed is this assumption that it's all for me to consume. But the Bible says to live like this, says that you're living like there's no God. Ecclesiastes 8, the smartest man in the world at that time at least, King Solomon, he's, he's kind of at this frustrated point in his life, and he wants to find out, you know, there's, there's, it just seems like life is just this weird cycle, he says, and so he goes out and he tries everything and, and samples everything, and, and he comes to this, a couple of conclusions. First of all, he says, it's all vanity, there's nothing new under the sun. And then he says this crazy thing, if, if there's no God, if all there is is just the here and now, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And I look at the lives in America, both saved and unsaved, and it seems like we live this verse out. Just eat Drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. No thought for tomorrow, not no thought for the people around us. And that means there's no God to you. That means there's no eternity. That means there's no consequences. That means there's no standards. That means there's no morals because it's just the here and now. In this moment, we eat, we drink, we satisfy this body, and then we die. And whoo! And I'm here to tell you, as somebody that cares for you, That's a very dangerous approach to your religion, to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because there is something after this life. And it's something great, something you don't want to miss. And so it's not just about here and now. It's not just about, oh, I just want to please myself. And, and, And one of the biggest reasons is it creates discontent. Because you know and I know, they will always produce more stuff for us to buy. There will always be something more to spend your money on. And life is not just the acquisition of stuff. And one of the main reasons is, your life will end before you acquire enough stuff. (laughs) There will be more stuff. There is more stuff than you've got time. Life is not the fulfillment of more stuff. And God doesn't say you can't have stuff. He just doesn't want the stuff to have you and begin to grab your heart and begin to change your life and begin to control your decisions and your relationships. He also doesn't expect us to be poor because poverty has nothing to do with the amount of money. That's a heart issue. You can be poor and still be greedy. 
because you still think it's all for you. And I know, like I said, it's, this is a hard topic this morning. But in this one area, like I said, between this and sex, these are the top areas that create divorce, problems in relationships, people that decide if, if it's mandatory, then I'm done, I'm out. And that should tell you who, who's mastering you. If sex is mastering you, you know God isn't. If money's mastering you, you know God isn't. And you get the opportunity because of his extreme grace and his, his wild love for you, you can change that today by just one simple prayer. Lord, I make you master. Here you go. I turn my money over to you. It's not easy. I turn it over to you. And in some cases, I mean, I, I wish that we could be honest at times, but again, it, it, it is so hard. And, and I don't think most people do it consciously, but it's like, you know, you get baptized, but we really ought to just hold the, the wallet out of our water when we get baptized because we say, my whole life is yours except this. And God will let you do that, but pretty soon he's like, and I want that too, not for him, but for you. And we're like, that's mine. <laughs> you can't, you can have my wife and my kids and my family and my job. But this is dear to me. And this is one of the biggest areas where people struggle. So let me just throw a quick stat at you across the board, no matter how big or small the church is, no matter if they're denominational or non-denominational. Most churches, 20% of the people pay 80% of the bills. And the rest watch and occasionally give. And it's even gotten worse for, for those 35 and under. If they give, uh, according to the recent stat, if they give $200 or more to a church, they think they've really invested in that church. $200 a year. I'm a big giver. No, you're not. You're an occasional, yeah, and it's usually because of a need. They watch a video and there's a cause and, and they give. If you're truly lined up with what God says, you don't need to see starving children on a scene, on a screen. You give because it's what he tells you to do. It's an act of obedience. And like I said, it's not me trying to get something from you. We're not taking up another offering this morning. Aren't you glad for that? Because now would be that opportune time, right? Say, reach for your wallets, everybody. Dig deep. But it's not about that at all. I'm I'm serious. The benefit that we get from this is huge because it provides us freedom and it keeps us aligned with Jesus Christ and his blessing. And he promises us, you go back to Malachi, and he says, trust me in this, see if I won't open the windows of heaven. Think about that. Don't you want open heavens? I do. I don't want closed heavens. But it's funny that in that one area, this is the one area in the Bible where he says, test me in this. You want to see what kind of a God I am? Test me in this. You know why he says test me? Let's see who your real master is. That's really what he's saying, church. You want to find out who your master is? Test me in this. And we're like, yeah, I'd rather not. We got to break that greed down. So here's some some boundaries that we can set against greed. Um, Most people live like this. 
All that money goes to how they live, how they want to live, and the stuff that they need to live. And then they're going to save, but that savings is for them. Uh, and if there's any left, that they save it. And then thirdly, they give. And, and that giving, again, is usually very small. It's uh, only an emergency or some cause that's close to their heart. That's the modern version of giving. People that say, I'm a giver. But that means that I live for me, I save for me, and I rarely give unless I have something left over. I'm moved or I feel guilty about this. And the reality is, if that's you, you're mastered by money this morning. Like I said, no condemnation, just the realization of truth. And and right here and now, even while I'm speaking, you can say to God, Lord, I want to change this. That's the beauty of our God, that he didn't say, you've already made your choice, sorry. It's like, this is an area you can change right now. Now, I'm a lenient pastor. I'm, I'm not liberal in my political or, or my religious views, but I'm liberal in my grace and realize some of you are so far in debt, you really can't <laughs> tithe. And when I say tithe, I know it's an old word, but that means 10% of your income. But you can start someplace. But again, this process of breaking greed and the mastery of money off of your life. So maybe it's 2%. Honor God with your 2%. But if you just hope that something will change, I hope I get a raise so I can start tithing, your current lifestyle won't let you tithe because if you could, you'd start doing it now because it's not a money issue, right? It's a heart issue. Moving on. But if we want to be Jesus followers, like I said, this is, this is the thing we have to flip this. See, the world gives us this picture But Jesus doesn't go by the world picture. He goes by the picture that he has saying, this is how it should be. First we give, then we save, and then we live on what remains. And that provides the freedom that we need to be free not only from greed, but to be free to allow Jesus to be our master. I don't want you to be mastered by this. And this is, like I said, Money is a whore. It, it's not just a master, it's a dictator. It will determine what you will and won't do with your life. It'll determine how you will and won't serve God. It'll determine what you do and don't do in your family. Another scripture, he says, the love of money is the root of evil. Think about that. Not having money, but the love of money. And the Bible has a lot to say about money. You should study it sometime. And, it's, and most of it is, is generally in the negative, saying, you know, a rich man trusts in his riches, but it gets wings like eagles and flies away, and then what will you have? It's a great question. What do you want for yourself? If you want something eternal, something that will last, then you need to make sure God's your master and not money. Because there's not a story in the Bible, there's not a passage that I've read, where somebody that is rich and handles their money poorly is well respected by God, or doesn't end up in hell. Is that a good trade-off for you? For me, it's not. I would rather be struggling and have no place to live and wonder how I'm going to make it, but know that when this life ends that I will be in good relationship with God, (laughs) than to be wealthy and think... I have no needs. I've got everything I need. And God may say, I'm calling all your receipts due today. 
and I'm not your God. And there's an extreme penalty for that. It isn't about me. It's not about the local church. I don't get a new car if you tithe more, if you give more. Nothing. I mean, it's about what God wants for you. We've got to get past that. It's about not being mastered by our stuff. So here's what God wants. <clears throat> he really wants you to be free. Have you heard that scripture before where it says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. Think about that. It doesn't say where the Spirit of money is. Because money will not make you free. Now, money may give you extra options, but it doesn't make you free. But what he wants you to be free, free from the fear of lack. Think about that. Most people are in that hoarding mode. They're afraid that they won't have enough. But God is our great provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. He knows what we need, and he knows what we don't need. And what's hard for us as Americans is, according to the New Testament even, he says, my God is the type of God that will provide what you need, but he doesn't provide what we greed. And we tend to want more than we need. We tend to want more and more and more. And I've shared this story before, and if you've heard it before, just act like you haven't. True story, uh, this is years and years and years ago, but an American company found out it would be cheaper to move their plant to South America and employ South Americans to make their product. So they went to this little place. They could buy, you know, land for cents on the dollar, put up a big uh, industrial plant and, and begin to hire the locals. And the locals are like, man, this is awesome. And so they come in and they employ them. They get done at the end of the month. They give them all their paychecks. The next Monday, nobody shows up because this is more money than these people have ever made before. Like, we're done. We've got enough money. And so these guys are in a real, real stressed place. Like, what are we going to do? We just spent all this money. Now we've lost our workforce. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? In months and months, they told. And then a genius slash evil genius... <laughs> from marketing comes and says, I think I can fix the solution. What's that? You guys have been talking about, you know, better rates and all this stuff, but that's not it. Here's what we need to do. We need to send them all catalogs. Remember when we used to get like JCPenney's and Ward's catalog? Those of you that, those are all online now. We do, we do online shopping now, but there was a time when we actually looked at books. Show them what they don't have. And within a matter of weeks, they had their force back. And they're running and still running today. Think about that. Those people felt like they had more than enough when they got that first paycheck. But then somebody showed them what they didn't have. All these new little gizmos and bells and whistles and this and that. And we're exactly the same way. That's what advertising thrives on is the fact of showing you what you don't have. And that's the problem. We know too much. I know what other people have that I don't have that I want. You know that too. You know other people that have stuff that seems to make them happy that you don't have. And you know too much. Because if you didn't know that, if you're just like, everybody's equal, I don't need anything more, 
we wouldn't be mastered by money. But we know too much. There's always one more thing to buy. One more thing that, I mean, really, do we not? I mean, you think about <laughs> how many people are up at 11.30 at night watching the Home Shopping Network. And if that's you, hey, I'm not, I'm not saying you're sinning or any of that stuff, but think about that. What is it designed to do? Show you some stuff, usually cheap stuff, that you don't have, that you really don't need, but you think you need to buy. Right? And so we're like, you know what? I don't have one of those. Or maybe you're a thoughtful person. You know what? My husband's birthday is coming up. I think he needs one of those, those hard shell wallets that keep the RFI readers from stealing his identity. And it's also got a built-in pocket knife and a, a windshield wiper blade remover. I think that'd be perfect for his birthday. In fact, my brother-in-law is coming up. Let's get two. <laughs> but wait, don't order yet, right? He wants us free from greed and the consequences of that, and from this lie that life equals stuff. Life doesn't equal stuff. Life doesn't equal stuff. But the reality is that for almost all of us, we're going to run out of time before we run out of stuff. Life is about our time, and God isn't just for emergencies that when we run out of money, oh God, you've got to help me. That's a horrible way, and, it, and it's at that moment that you realize, I've been mastered by money. And that's a horrible place for you to be. I don't want you to be there. God doesn't want you to be there. Do you want money competing with everything else in your life? Because it will continue to take until it's number one, unless you make God your master. Now, what's crazy is he chose us. We didn't come crawling to him He chose us before the foundations of the world. And Paul, who got saved by God in a very radical way, he refers to himself in the Greek as a a doulos, which means a bond slave. And what that means in those days was that whoever the master was, there were people sold into slavery, and then you were made free. But a bond slave loved the master so much that he again joined himself to the master because the master took such good care of him. He didn't have to. He was free. And this morning, you are free. But the question is, who do you want to be your master? You want to be a doulos, a bond slave to Jesus Christ who will treat you well and is even now building a place for you in heaven? And has promised to look after you and care for you and guide you and move you and transform you. Or money that will continue to demand of you. You get to choose. Later on in that verse, we're not going to go through all of them, but he he jumps down to the end after he tries to explain this. And and believe me, I believe that the the reaction to Jesus was pretty much the same as every pastor that would dare to preach this, is that most people kind of sit there and think, when's this going to be done? Soon. Look at what he says. Verse 31. Don't worry about these things. 
right? But if, if I don't make money my master, what am I, how are we going to eat? And what am I going to wear? And he's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? This is, I mean, all the way back in Jesus' time, this is what people were worried about, right? But notice what he says. Don't worry about these things. Why? Look at verse 32. These are the things that dominate the thoughts of... Remember what I said about living this lifestyle? You're acting like there is no God. So if your whole life is dominated by, we've got to have the newest clothes, we've got to eat out, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, what are we going to do? He says, when you act like that and those things dominate you, you're acting like an unbeliever. Now, the original scripture says pagan or Gentile, but there, in that world, there was only two kinds of people. There were Jews, God's favorite people, and everybody else, the people that didn't believe in God. And this is what he's saying. When you live like this, you're saying, I don't believe in God. And you could have a great argument this morning, say, Pastor, that's not what I'm saying at all. I believe I can have a good balance. And I'm here to tell you, you need to talk to Jesus about that because he says no one can serve two masters. But everybody can kid themselves. Everybody can justify their existence. Everybody can ratify their changes. But the reality is no one can serve two masters. That's the deception. That's the lie. But notice how he doesn't leave you like in this hard place of, what are you, an unbeliever? He says, you don't think your heavenly Father already knows what you need? You see, if we believe that he's a good father, and he is a good father, he is a great provider, then if we trust him, we trust that he knows what our needs are. But when we live the opposite way, we're showing that we don't trust Him and that He doesn't care about our needs. See, when you go back to that original word, when they used to use the word pagan, pagan actually didn't mean that they didn't believe in God. In fact, it meant they had to serve many gods and they had to beg and plead and bribe, Lord, I'll, I'll give my children to you if you'll just make sure our crops grow. Lord, I'll, I'll pour out all this uh, offering to you if you'll, if you'll bless my house. And they would try to negotiate because the gods didn't care about the people. They just wanted from them. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I don't have a house. <laughs> I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't know if he had a change of clothes or not. He didn't have a 401k. He didn't have anything to speak of. He never commanded an army. He never wrote a book in the Bible. And yet, because of this principle, it changed the world. Because of those that followed him, they changed the world. And if we as believers would actually practice what the Bible says, we again would begin to change the world instead of the world changing us. But that's, it's difficult. It's not easy, but it is simple. And whether you agree with it or like it or whatever it is this morning, here's the simple truth. We wrestle with this of who is the mastery of our heart. And I may have messed up your day because you're thinking, I wasn't even worried about this till now. Thanks, Pastor. I was very content to have money be my master, but now I can't have money be my master. I might go to hell. Thanks. Didn't come here to put you in stress. I came here 
to tell you the truth and to make sure that you live a great life with Jesus Christ. Money will continue to compete with everything and everyone else in your life. Now, let me share a personal story with you because, again, this happens no matter how dedicated you are to God. I, I, I had a great friend and mentor. I've shared about him before. His name is Barney Bernard, big uh, South African, German-Dutch guy. Loved him, and uh, he's gone on to be with Jesus now. But I, I had the opportunity at our, the first church that I pastored to have him come and to do several services with us. And while he was there, he said, um, can I use a car? And I'm thinking, sure, you can use a car. I love you. you. You're my friend. And not even consciously, subconsciously, I gave him our old beat-up Ford Taurus that my daughter had wrecked running into the church van. Okay? Now, you think, well, you know, that's nice. You gave him something to drive. I also had sitting in my driveway a fairly new, brand new Dodge truck with a nice big Hemi engine in it. He, he doesn't complain. He doesn't say anything. Gets in the car, drives down my driveway, gets ready to make a left-hand turn to go to the hotel, and a tire rod breaks, and the car is now broken, unsteerable. And he says to me later, not even, no guilt or anything, why didn't you offer me your truck? It's a great question. If this is my friend that I love, why didn't I offer him my best vehicle? Because subconsciously, I thought I was a good friend by just offering him a vehicle. And I think sometimes... We get the same way with God. God, I'm giving you something, but we're not giving him our best. We're not giving him our first. We're not giving him the excess. We're giving him the leftovers, the rundown, the whatever's left over, if I can spare it, in many areas of our lives. And that was a, a quick and heart-puncturing lesson for me because I really thought, I hadn't thought that through, and I thought, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. I guess that truck meant more to me than you, and I didn't say that at the time, but what a response. I mean, how do you answer that question? When it comes time for you to meet God, how will you answer that question? Why didn't you give me Why did you give me the leftovers? Why did you give me the ah, he can have this part? What will your answer be? It's a great question. Look what he says. You want to know how to fix this? Remember, he's speaking to his believers, not to the world. But again, if you're, if you're not a believer this morning, if you'll put that uh, give, save, live into practice, you will thank me years from now. It'll be a blessing on your life. It's, 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 not, it's not easy, but it's simple. But here's what he says. I want you to seek the kingdom of God above 
everything else. And the original says you see it, seek first. First thing you should seek instead of money and what will I wear. Look at how he's putting all this together. Don't separate these verses out. We sometimes separate the worry part from how he continues to say, you're thinking about these things, but you know what you need to seek? Instead of worrying about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and all this stuff, what you need to seek is God's kingdom and live righteously. Now, what does living righteously mean? That means living in right standing before God. That means doing what he asked you to do. That means being obedient to the scriptures. But even more than that, here's what's hard. He says, if you'll do that, he will give you everything you need. Right? But the problem is we just don't believe that. Because God, you don't understand. He does understand. If you will seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, he'll give you everything you need. The hard part of that is that the kingdom of God is an others-focused kingdom. He himself came and said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. I came to seek and save the lost. He was all about other people. The problem with money is it starts to focus us on us. And we think we're the master when money's the master. That's the deception. And pretty soon we're not thinking about anybody else but us. And I'm sorry, I can't help you because I need to... And it just keeps unrolling. And it's not, it's not an age group. It's just a culture. You think about this. Many of us grew up before there was a Netflix. Before there was flat screen TVs. Before there was cell phones. Before there was internet. I know it doesn't seem possible. Before there were pagers. Some of you before there was color TV. <laughs> before there was high def. Before there was indoor plumbing. And we almost can't fathom that. And people didn't know what they were missing because they didn't have it. And you go back just a a couple of generations, and especially people that lived through the Great Depression, and they had a huge amount of kids, many of them, 12, 13 kids, and were dirt poor, and they didn't know they were poor, and all the kids lived, and all the kids worked, and they all had clothes, and yet today we're like, my God, I can't imagine having 12 kids. How would we afford them? And the TV, and Netflix, and the cell phone, and the, and the, and the, those things weren't an option. But guess what? They don't have to be an option today. You don't have to have those things. Now, here's the great news. If, if you've made God your master and he's blessed you, there's no sin with having those things. But the question is, what's beginning to master you? What is it that's driving you? Do you have a plan to give to God, to give to the church, to give to I mean, the church is one of the the greatest non-government organizations in the world. We're the ones that go overseas and help in disasters. We're the ones that do project relief. We're the ones that minister to the millions of people in foreign countries and locally when nobody else knows what to do, and yet people are so pro. Well, all the church wants is my money. And that's what the culture thinks. The church hates sex, and all they do is want my money. Well, 
we love sex in this church, but it just has its place. And we have to understand that money has its place too. So this is our reality, church. And I, like I said, I know this is a difficult thing because it hits home for all of us of, of where we put our security, of, of what's going to happen when I get all that. But wouldn't it be nice to be able to not have that worry? Wouldn't it be nice to be free from the fear of what happens next? If God is God, He knows what's going to happen next and He will get you through it. And it doesn't mean it will be easy, but He knows how to provide our needs. Imagine how radical it would be for your life to be give, save, live, instead of the opposite. Wouldn't it be nice to not have to worry about credit card debt and being able to pass that debt onto your children's children? (laughs) Being in fear of of lack or or having to feel like you have to hoard or you never have enough because you're just consuming and you're living from paycheck to paycheck, that's a horrible place to be. And he says, hey, we can fix this. It'll be a process, but the first place to fix it is to make Jesus Christ Lord of your money. And I'll begin to work these things out. And if we follow Jesus Christ, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, and, and this, is, this is the last hard part, I promise. This is what he says. If you're really a believer of Jesus Christ, not just a believe in Jesus Christ, that means that you say yes to what he says. What do you say about how I should live? Yes, I'll do that. What do you say about how I should get married? Yes, I'll do that. What do you say about how I should handle my finances? Yes, I do that. What does it say about how I should handle my children? Yes, I'll do that because you're my master. The problem is we think we get to negotiate. I want God to bless me here, but I don't know if I want to do that here. And every place that we're disobedient, there can't be blessing. That's what we have to understand. Wherever there's disobedience, he will never, ever, 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 ever bless disobedience. He can't bless disobedience. And we don't get it all at once. It's a progress as we walk into it. We mature and we begin to give more and more of our lives to him. That's how we mature. That's how we grow. That's how we see. But today's a great opportunity for you to hand a part of your life over to him. One that's one of the hardest of all. Say, Lord, pastor hit me right on the head with this today and I hated it. Because by this standard, many, 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 many of us have been mastered by money. And we didn't even know it. God's kingdom is an other's first kingdom. It's not about just us. It's not about just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. There's going to be an eternity, and it's going to be great. It's going to be a time in with Jesus Christ that's everlasting, and we're changed to be like Him. And you don't want to miss it because you've been mastered by money. And if you don't believe me, search the Scriptures and see how often it says that somebody gives up God to follow money. And you think, well, I would never do that. 
Read the scriptures. You're probably not better than those people. Money will begin to master you unless you master it 